Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome on in. It is Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. We will react, of course, to last night's big boxing match. It was a huge night for boxing, man. Uh, You had the first big fight we've really had since the pandemic. You know, uh, we've talked about it on this show. It feels like it's just been deadsville as far as talking about the sport. Um, just what the realities of it is. You know, you have promoters who want pieces of the gate. It's a sport that hasn't been able to roll forth without making competitive matchups that people will watch. And I think they were also at a crossroads because I think that they thought when they first came back, it was going to be enough just to have sports back for people to tune in. And I think that was the case early on, especially I think the UFC benefited from that. But now as we're seeing, you know, sports really has to step up their game. You know, we've seen ratings take a dip pretty much everywhere, especially the closer we get to election season, all that type of stuff. Um, So with that being said, last night we had a huge boxing match for all of the lightweight belts. And it was exciting. You know, Vasily Lomachenko, against Teofema Lopez. We have a new champion as a new undisputed champion as Teofemo uh, won yesterday on every judge's scorecard. Unanimous decision for him, 116-112 on one of them, 119-109 and 117-111. All went for Lopez. Um, you know, I don't want to harp too much on the 119-109 card. I feel like that's just... I feel like that's being a, a, a sourpuss at a fun party. Like, you're just going to be the guy who's like, mm, but what about this card? Yeah, it wasn't a good card by Julie Letterman. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. You know, why, you know she, I think she gave round 11 to Lomachenko, and the rest she gave to Teofema Lopez. I, you know, I hard 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 to impress, I guess. Um, I, was, uh, I was right in line with the 116-112 card. In fact, I actually looked at that card and matched round for round with uh with that particular judge and it was uh that was who was that tim cheatham yeah tim cheatham had a 116 112 and i'm uh i mirror his he gave one through seven all to teofemo that's the same way i went eight through 11 all to lomachenko and then round 12 to teofemo and that's exactly how i scored it Uh, a lot of people were getting mad at andre ward for his draw card Draws not that hard. if you have a one sixteen one twelve card draws not that hard to get to, um, if you if the the two rounds you'd have to in particularly circle to get to draw would be 
uh, rounds two and round seven, which I believe he both gave to Loma, and that's how he ends up there because you flip the 8-4, gets to 6-6. Six, six. It's not that hard. And then 117, uh, 112, the big difference was is he uh, – Steve Weisfeld gave rounds – he gave round nine to Teo. He didn't give, like, the whole late run to Lomachenko. So that's how the judges broke it down. Um, you know, I, I think the big stories out of this one, one, I think that Teofimo – I said this last week. I compared this fight a lot to um, – I compare this fight to Errol Spence versus Mikey Garcia, where I think we think of a guy as one thing, uh, but maybe he'll show something as another. Now, I will look, I picked uh, Lomachenko to win this fight. I said he was going to win by a decision, so I whiffed on that one. But I did say that um, perhaps we're going to see an element to Teofimo's game that we did not see or haven't seen because it's very early in his career. You know, we had Andre Ward on this week. And it's such a big leap for a guy, 15 fights in, 23 years old, to jump into these types of waters. And he didn't look shook at all. He, uh, very, very composed start to this thing. Um, you know, and they mentioned on the broadcast how Lomachenko likes to start slow on these fights, uh, which he certainly did, but he, he, he did it to a next element. Um, I think that there was a conscious effort by them that they wanted to let Teofimo let out the gas a little bit, but... I think a couple of things. One, I think they probably clearly they waited a little bit too long uh, on that regard, and they also I think probably figured he was going to go for broke a little bit more, and he really didn't. He was very composed. Jab was working well. He kept finding that home at the body, so he was doing a lot of racking up rounds. Um, you know, I think you. It wasn't it, you know, it really did take a while for this fight to get cooking because there wasn't much resistance from Lomachenko you know he really did seem like he was trying to size things up eye things up it didn't seem early on like there was a great speed advantage for him either um and I do think that that swung once we got into those later stages once we got to rounds eight through 11 you did really see a a big hand speed advantage for Lomachenko but he just you know either wasn't willing to pull the trigger early on or just didn't see those openings or didn't want to risk it um you know, I'm sure he's going to be kicking himself, second guessing himself, all that type of stuff. Um, but but Lopez, I mean, he kept finding a home for that. He kept finding a home for the body shots. Um, you know, which I think is smart for a guy when you're taking on a guy like Lomachenko. You know, he kept saying in the lead up to this, people treat him like he's a god. They come in there mentally beaten. He did not. You know, he was just going to find the simple openings. You know, he took a lot of, I think in this fights. You know, for the home run hitter, he was in there and it was was. Uh, satisfied going in there and just going four for four with four singles. I think that there was uh, th there was no real need for him to find like he needed to really impose his will. And if anything, the guy who had to take the home run cuts by the end of this was Lomachenko. Um, and then you get to the spots of, well, he's got to take out a bigger man. He's got chopped on the tree. And I think that he probably felt pretty good about it, um, you know, in, in 10 and 11, but you know, it's it's a big boy he's got to take down, and it, it the the thing that was impressive mostly to me was was round twelve from from Lopez. I like the fact that Teo was able to go out there and really put a stamp on the fight because you don't want a, a performance like that. I, you don't want the long lasting image to be oh did he just rack up rounds and you know uh, just kind of. You know, did did Lomachenko run out of time? You know, 
And you know, it is what it is. A win's a win. But I think it, it was good for Lopez to have that lasting image of he's taken all the belts and he took that last round from Lomachenko. He really broke Lomachenko's will. Um, you know, Vasily didn't really have a lot of firepower left. He seemed a little bit worn out. Um, and so I think that's good for for Lopez that he that he even though clearly he didn't need the round on the scorecards because he was comfortably ahead. So whatever he would have won seven five on his closest card, clearly would have won easily on a Julie Letterman's card, and and on the seventeen he would have been fine. But I still think it puts a good stamp on the fight for him, and if he is going to be the face of this division, or if he ends up going up. Um, it'll be interesting to see. He uh, he said he might move up to 140, or he might go and 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 uh, take on Devin Haney. I think him versus Haney would be fun. You know, Devin's gonna fight in a couple weeks down here at the Hard Rock. Uh, he has a piece of the 135 championship. He you know Lopez is I guess the franchise champion. You know, you can never figure out WBC. They make up rules as it goes, but I think it would be fun for those two just to go on because I would like to see. I talked about this with uh, with Andre this week. I was like, I would like to see the young guys. There's so much potential here of these guys, you know, living out their rivalries. Now, the one good thing is I don't, I don't think this is, you know, he needed to get this fight in with Lomachenko probably soon because I don't think that, you know, Teofimo is going to be in this division long term. But he still is 23, so we still have time for him to go and fight Devin Haney if they're able to make that fight. Um, you know, but at least if he doesn't, Devin Haney's still young too. So I still think there's some some move up for him as well. Um, but all in all, you know, for Lomachenko, I think people will probably be, uh, you know, was was this finally the fight where, you know, did the layoff uh, affect him at all? Was was that part of the slow start to him? Um, and then also just, you know, did he finally meet somebody who was at the crossroads of size and skill who? You know, he just couldn't take out. Uh, he definitely couldn't mentally break him, which was uh, which was great to see. And it seemed like it was teetering that way. You know, uh, you know, there was that's that's why I think that that last round was so important for Lopez to not just feel like you beat a Lomachenko who maybe was a little bit rusty that was out of the game and that you kind of you know ran up the clock on. Like the fact that he went and took that last round after you had been mentally beaten a little bit, you had taken some shots, you were um, getting whipped a little bit in the back half of the fight, you went and go and, and took that that uh, that performance. So I think that was uh, something that was super impressive uh, from his standpoint. Uh, Lomachenko also, you know, I just think that the output was just a little bit too, you know, the thing that's going to be interesting is, and I think that he's going to kick himself too, is, you know, he, he did have to take some risks. It even got, you know, he almost had to ugly it up a little bit. You know, we saw the headbutts. We saw a little bit of the, the the holding and hitting and stuff like that. And I definitely don't think if you were going to say, well, who's going to come in there and do that type of stuff, you probably would have thought, oh, it's usually the naturally bigger guy. Um, but people, you know, this is one of those performances where you really get a sense of Lopez being more skilled and, and more well-rounded than people gave him credit for just because, He's steamrolling fools at 23 years old. And that, those are always the, the fun performances to go watch, that he's able to, to bring all that stuff to the table. So ultimately, a uh, really good performance by Teofimo. I think he's a great guy to have as the, as the face of the sport. The sport's, and, and the sport's going in that direction, man. You know, I think one of the things that's been um, 
it's been frustrating that we've been in this spot where you know it really it really felt like 2020 was a lost year for boxing outside of the Fury Wilder rematch um you know everything else has kind of just been at a standstill other than a couple of fights sprinkled in here and there uh one of the things that was interesting you know they announced this week uh, on the broadcast that Terence Crawford he's going to be taking on Kel Brook and they were like, oh, he's taking on the best guy that's available. And that's kind of garbage. Like, you know, we saw what happened tonight uh, happen for the lightweight division. That needs to happen for the welterweight division. Like Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, they need to fight in 2021. You never know when this stuff is going to dry up. Uh, sports has all seemed very finite in, uh, in, in these crazy times. And I think that all this jockeying that people do um, – is is a huge huge waste. You know, look, Teofimo's camp could have probably uh, sucked dry that IBF title, and you know, taken on mandatories here and mandatories there, and 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 been fine, and he would have headlined on ESPN cards and all that type of stuff. Um, but but what huge guts it took for that camp, you know, to 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 really throw their their young fighter into the deep end a, a father you know who clearly uh talks a lot and and, and bit a lot uh, and, and his mouth uh wrote a lot of checks but his son cashed him tonight you know his son his son had uh, had plenty of balance in the bank to uh to back up his father's words and now you have a position where this guy has the opportunity to really be a star of boxing for a long, long time, um, or at least be the root of a lot of rivalries that we could start with either him, Devin Haney, uh, if, you know, they could ever work out anything with Gervonta Davis, Ryan Garcia, um, all these types of big names that are big on social media that can talk a lot of trash, that could hype a lot of fights. Um, it was great. And I think that that is the thing that's exciting about these matchups is we have not only a great, talented young champion, we have a charismatic young champion uh, and the potential for him to have a lot of rivals who are also charismatic. Um, I saw Devin Haney tweet out, let's see, he tweeted out, I said, I bet you they won't mention my name on the broadcast. He was right about that. They did, uh, they did not. But uh, it was, uh, let's see, afterwards he goes, uh, Lopez Haney 2021, let's do it for all the belts. Uh, also said I'd been te- I've been said Loma was whack. Well, listen, you didn't take him on, so let's let's uh, let's get let's not get crazy to that uh, to that stuff. But um, you know, Devin's gonna fight in a couple weeks. He's gonna fight Yoriyuki Gamboa. Uh, he should win that fight. Even though you know I love home team, I love Gamboa. He should win that fight. Uh, and if they could do that fight in 2021, it'd be fantastic. I. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be a matter also of uh, who's going to sign whom, I guess, and and who they can get to the right side of the tracks. Will it be, you know, getting David Devin to ESPN, which honestly they should really do. Like, if you're if you're going to talk about like, you know, sending Lopez over to the zone or sending Haney over to uh, to ESPN, like the way it should go is Devin Haney should get his butt over to ESPN. He should do the car wash. He should go on first take all that type of stuff just a monster for him you know it's uh you know i know and i know DeZone probably won't want to let him go um you know, maybe they'll want to do some crossover whatever i don't know but the i really hope that the 
that boxing goes in this new direction of not letting these stupid holds up. Like, get everybody involved. Get these guys fighting each other. Get these guys um, in the ring with one another so we can, you know, be able to see these guys. If it's not him, then I guess we're going to see, I think, George Cambosa's fights in a couple of weeks. Was he fight the 31st? Fights Lee Selby, and I think the winner of that's going to fight as the mandatory for uh, one of Lopez's belts. So, you know, it's great, though. It was a great night for him. Congratulations to Teofema Lopez. Uh, Lomachenko will be interesting. I don't know. Uh, you know, he's only 32. They made him seem like a grandpa in there as far as, like, it, and it is weird. Like, everybody else in this division who seems to be blossoming is very young. Lomachenko's 32. That's not old. Um, but you know, maybe it's a case of, does he want to go down and wait again, you know, just to, uh, to reestablish himself. Are there more fun matchups down there? Um, it seems like he'd be a little bit more dominant down there. I, I think we have seen with him going up, he's shown tremendous blood and guts, but he has not been as dominant as he was when he was making people quit, uh, in the midst of the, in the midst of the ring. And I think that's, uh, what we want most from Lomachenko. So, it's uh, it'll be an interesting fallout, but this night belongs to uh, to Lopez for sure. We'll take a quick break. We'll get into a little bit of what went down last night in UFC as you had Brian Ortega taking on Korean Zombie and get into a little bit of Habib versus Justin Gates. You were back after this. Welcome back, everybody, to Fighters Fury here on Seven Ninety The Ticket. Uh, we roll on. We we'll get into a little bit of the UFC card from last night. So Brian T. City Ortega was taking on Chan Sung Jung, the Korean Zombie. Grudge match, long time, uh, long time match in the making, and they were squaring off for essentially what was going to be the uh, the number one contendership for the featherweight belt. Weird spot that the featherweight belt's in right now because Volkanovski is champion. Uh, Max Holloway is the number one ranked contender in that division. He has uh, he has lost twice to Alexander Volkanovski, uh, although controversially, especially in the last one. Uh, but it doesn't seem like he is going to get that third shot anytime soon. You don't know what happens with Max at this point. He has uh, he has beaten T City before, and has been in a spot where you know he is you know in a lot of people's minds the best featherweight there there ever was. Um, and so we're at the spot where you know there is opportunity here. There's a new there's a new possibility for a contender. And so who was it going to be? We haven't really known with uh, with Brian Ortega what we were going to get because he is. Hasn't been in the octagon since he lost to Max Holloway, and that was December 2018. So that's a long time ago. We're almost pushing two years on that, and so a lot of questions with uh, with him. But he's still young, you know. Uh, and I think that we were seeing this with Brian's career as the fights were going forth, especially that Frankie Edgar fight where he knocked him out. Nobody knocks out Frankie Edgar like that, and so you thought that this, this guy was going to be a real danger to Max Holloway. But maybe it was just a little bit too much too soon. You know, he's only 29 years old. So uh, it's uh, it's at a point right now where maybe that was too early in his career. So what was he going to do with all this time? Uh, Korean Zamu, we know, is crazy dangerous when it comes to these types of matchups. As far as, you know, he, he can never count him out in the midst of a fight. He always He is always going to live true to his nickname, come forward and bring a lot of danger when it comes to these matchups. Um you know he also hasn't been in in a year's time, so it's uh, it's been a little bit for him. But he's as dangerous as ever. Uh, you think about all the fights that he's been in there with, even since uh, his break. 
Uh, that Yair Rodriguez was a legendary fight for ages. Hanato Maikano beating him, Frankie Edgar. So uh, this is a fun matchup. I was looking forward to it, but it really wasn't a close fight. It wasn't. Uh, you know, Brian, uh, Brian showed a lot of versatility on those feet, man. He looked as polished as you could ask a young man to look at his striking. Versatile uh, was really just catching Chan Sung Jung with everything. Um, catching him inside, wasn't allowing him to be comfortable. His jab was a super big weapon in this one. Uh, hit a spinning back elbow at one point. Was trying to hit with lead elbows at certain at certain times. He really just he brought out the 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 whole bag of tricks for this for this matchup and looked in a lot of people's minds. I think coming out of this uh, matchup, like uh, Chan Sung Jung really couldn't get going at all he ended up getting cut over his eye pretty badly they had to stop to check on it and you know it, it really wasn't ever in doubt it was just a matter of the clock running out um brian ortega did feel like he took the the foot off the gas just a little bit as the uh as the thing looked like he was in the bag but even in the midst of that anytime that uh korean zombie got close to him he was peppering him right in the face and wasn't wasn't going to be an issue so um he solidifies himself, man, as a as a as a as a title contender going to take on Alexander Volkanovsky. And I gotta tell you, man, if this is the guy that we're going to see uh in the featherweight fight, if he shows up, uh, like in a lot of ways, we saw a guy who had some real striking capability going to the Max Holloway fight, but wasn't as refined, uh, was still all very new to him. This mostly was a one trick pony kind of fighter. And now he's going in there with a guy in, in Alexander Volkanovsky who, you know, he looks like he's going to have a a, a, a a nice advantage of, of, of versatility. You know, he's going to always have that option if it gets up against the cage. If he does get taken down, he's going to be able to go to his bread and butter. But the striking just looks so much more polished. You don't fight for two years and you use all of this time uh, to work the way that he works. People already thought that this guy was title quality, and now he just looks very, very refined. I think this guy's a real danger, man, a real danger to Alexander Volkanovsky, who, you know, could be in this spot where he's coming to this next fight looking to prove a point because I think there's a lot of people who are doubting his title reign because of the, the last win against Max Holloway, and so that's always a dangerous thing, too, if you have a fighter who... Uh, is worried that they got uh, much to prove uh, against the rest of the world and all that type of stuff. But, man, Brian Ortega just brought it all tonight. And you, uh, you you think, like, if this guy is that good, like, who is beating him? Because, you know, there's a lot of guys who are, are good in this division, but this guy might be better in the submission game than anybody in, 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 the, in the 145 division. If you put on top of it that he actually becomes an elite striker, um uh, Super dangerous. And I think the other thing that's got to be the, the guy who's got to become the biggest Max, uh, who's got to be the biggest Brian Ortega fan. I, I would almost put like an Apollo Creed uh, Rocky Alliance on this one is Max Holloway. Because if you're Max Holloway, you're never getting back to the title shot if Alexander Volkanovsky has gold around his waist, at least in this title reign. So if you're Max Holloway and you've spent all that time with Alexander Volkanovsky, especially with all the tricks that he puts in there, with all the... Uh, you know, with the with the with the late round pushage that he's able to 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 put forth. You know what what can he, what gear can he go find to? Because that's really been the story is that you know Max has uh, Max has been able to get in early on Volkanovski. Well, actually, it was it's kind of a flip on the first fight. It was him coming on late. The second fight, it was him 
taken on early. So he spent 10 rounds in there with him. Um, if I'm Brian Ortega, that's the first call I'll make it. If that's not weird for him, because, you know, you want all the intel you can to go beat this guy. And then if you're Max Holloway and you have Brian Ortega as champion, um, that obviously puts you in a much better spot to get back to the title picture for yourself because you've beaten him before. So really, really a great performance by Brian Ortega. Not the classic I think we were all looking forward to last night with uh, with this matchup. I think we were probably hoping for a little bit more of a back and forth, but uh, I think it could uh, it just speaks to what Brian is looking for. Uh, you know, will some people be wondering is Chan Sung Jung is Chan Sung Jung is he looking a little bit a uh, little bit weathered? I don't know. He's only thirty three years old. We're not talking about a guy who. And a guy who's also taken two years off, you know, to take military service. So I don't think that that's the case. I just think Brian was at another level tonight. I really, really do. Um, I think that he came in there with a lot more versatility than uh, Korean Zombie was probably expecting. And probably, you know, didn't think that he was going to have to prepare for, quite frankly. Uh, on the other end of this car, we had Jessica Andras. She got herself a big win over Caitlin Chikagan. Um Caitlin was number one at 125. So... For Andrade, she puts herself in a, in a really good spot. She makes her debut at 125. You know, this is the former 115 champ. Uh, has fought at 135 before, so she looked absolutely fantastic. Hit her with a gnarly body shot, uh, going forth with this type of deal, and you know, because of that, was able to uh, was able to put her away, get herself a big time win, and. I would say right now you beat number one. It's a it's a marketable matchup, him her versus Valentina. Um, I still like Valentina to win that fight if they do end up fighting for the belt. But what I would say is Jessica Andrade has shown you uh, that she is just always capable of coming up with the home run shot in in so many ways. So I, I don't think you can counter out of that matchup. I don't think it could be one of these things where you look upon her and say, oh. Valentina is definitely going to dominate. I think that this is a, a special type of fighter who, who can, uh, who, who is so dangerous in there, especially in a five round fight. The more time you give her, I think we even saw that with the last Rose fight. Like Rose is lucky that that fight wasn't a five round fight, and if it was, maybe it, it would have ended up being really dangerous for her. Um, but it wasn't, so she ends up uh, getting herself the win, and Valentina is going to find herself in a spot with uh, with her hands full. But a fun matchup, I think. You know. We've been looking for something for Valentina, and I think that's a that's a that's that's a former former champion taking on a champion. I like that matchup for uh, for Bullet, and I think uh, I think actually could do could do some uh, some nice numbers for the UFC as far as people being interested. So that's uh that's the recap of what went down of UFC Funaland. Now, of course, coming up next week, uh, we have a big. Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. You got UFC 254 coming at you from Abu Dhabi. Now, this is, I believe, just so I could get this uh, correct for everybody, um, my schedule's been a little bit out of whack when it comes to the fight stuff, but I believe this starts super early next week, so everybody is just clear. Next week, if you are planning to watch UFC 254, be in mind, keep it in your head, 2 o'clock, according to UFC.com, 2 o'clock Eastern time for us down here in Miami uh, is when the main card starts. The main card starts at 2 p.m., so just keep that in mind. You know, Make your plans accordingly. 
as you know, if you're going to be sitting down, if you're planning a big watch party tomorrow night, uh, you may have to uh, set aside some time in the midst of uh, college football because you have uh, 254 going on in the midst of uh, in the midst of the afternoon. Now, why are they doing this? This is a you know, from what I understand, this is a Habib thing. This is like they're trying to get prime time on that side of the world for him. He's obviously a very big deal, so. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to do big numbers over there. Um, I I do think this is a bit of a business risk from an American standpoint for the UFC because you're talking about putting this in the heart of college football, like Big Ten. Everything's back, and you're putting that. You know, so if you're starting at two, let's say Habib fights at five, um, you know, you're putting that kind of in the heart of everything. You know, I always say, though, this when it comes to a fight, no matter when it is, uh, you're only investing, you're investing at most a half hour. So at least just for people who just tune in for the main event, obviously, if you're watching everything like people who listen to this show do, uh, it, it's different. But I do think that that matters is that we're in a we're in a spot where, you know, they're not investing the whole day. There's going to be a lot of people that just tune in to watch Habib versus Justin Gaethje. But just keep that in mind. Next week, it is going to be super early if you are going to be tuning into this. And look, this is a fun fight. It's got a lot of what ifs to it. Um, but I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put some something out for the for the best part of disclosure. The way I the way I've been going about how I think this fight's going to go. And I I I, I want to make it clear that I put a big amount of praise on Justin Gaethje, his last fight. I thought this was a guy who came into the UFC and had peaked somewhat. Like he came in, he looked like he was going to be super exciting guy, but wasn't going to win fights and, you know, could make people pay. And it was always going to be fight of the night, but was he really a title contender? And this guy has just made himself better and better and better every time he goes in there. So that, that performance that he had against Tony Ferguson was one for the ages. Uh, it was under some weird circumstances where it was delayed a bunch. Remember, Tony did cut weight twice. So, you know, maybe people still want to take some credit away from him from that. But you beat Tony Ferguson, who in a lot of people's minds may have been the, what, the best lightweight fighter on the planet for the last five years. Um, it's a great performance. And I think showed a lot, and he's shown a lot ever since his loss to Dustin Poirier. Um, I feel like with this fight, I just don't see Habib losing. I don't. I think that this man is just so damn good, and I've I've been doing the thing with him. I'm not one of these guys where I jumped on the Khabib bandwagon early. I've definitely hopped on it late where I've always looked at some of these matchups and I'm like, all right, where, where can it really happen? Who's he really been in there? That's testing though. You know, Michael Johnson even put one on him and gave him a little bit of danger. Who's he really been in there with, uh, ally Quinto went the distance with him. Um, I thought Connor would get the best of him. He did not, uh, Dustin, you guys know, I think the world of Dustin. So I'm going to, you know, think of a way for my guy to go and get that win. But, you know, each and every time, and especially the last two, he's not only found a way to dominate, but he's found a way to go finish the fight. Um, and he 
has looked tremendous. He's had a really, really great title reign in his two title defenses. I just don't. And, and so for Gaethje, you know, I, I know they talk about this takedown defense that he's got and that he's got the rest. I don't think, you know, and, and Dustin talks about this. Like, I don't think anybody he's these guys. A lot of these guys practice with with all types of fighters. You don't think that they go into these types of matchups and practice for, uh, you know, takedown defense and all that type of stuff. No, of course they do. And so. Uh, look, I think Justin is fantastic, and yeah, he certainly has some real hurting bombs in him. But so does Connor, so does Dustin. Uh, do you want to say that? You know, Justin is willing to go through the fire a little more. You think he's more willing to go through the fire than than Dustin is? All right. Well, I mean, those two, if we're going to do MMA math, those two fought each other, and Dustin was the one who came out on top. Uh, also, this is a different kind of going through the fire. This isn't you know, stand and bang with a guy at the center of the octagon for, you know, 15 minutes, 25 minutes. You know, you're really in this mental mind F that's like, I'm going to get brought up against the cage. I'm probably going to get tripped. I'm probably going to get held down for, you know, three minutes and 15 seconds, maybe four minutes. I'm going to try not get choked out. I'm probably going to get my arm pin behind my my back and he's probably going to wail on my face and so then it becomes you thinking about you know finding Hail Marys you know can you you know can can you really shake Nurmagomedov off of you enough to really put some damage on him and I just feel like I've gotten to the point now I've seen I've seen him in these high level fights he now is taking on the elite of the elite I don't believe that Justin Gaethje is going to be able to do that. It's not taking anything away from Justin. I think he's fantastic. Again, he's shown such growth in his MMA career. And if he does, I mean, you're talking about one of the great career comeback stories that we've ever seen. But... I just, I think I've just, I've gotten out of the business of doubting Habib Nurmagomedov. I'm still not the biggest fan of why. I love Habib. I love the personality. I love the persona. I don't love watching his fights. You know, I'm not like this, you know, this huge Habib fan. But I am a, you know, but I am a fan of people trying to solve the riddle. And right now he's the biggest Rubik's Cube in the sport. Nobody can seem to solve it. And I don't think Justin Gaethje is going to be the guy to do it. I don't. Um, and if he is, look, you guys know, I acknowledge when I'm wrong, right? I'm wrong plenty and I'm, I'm wrong often, but I, I just, I feel like I've been the guy who's always been like, Oh, you know, Habib striking is not that good. And, you know, even, you know, if he tries that striking bleep with Connor, Connor, you know, eh, you know what? And the other thing is, Khabib's actually looked pretty decent with his striking. You know, he hasn't, you know, he's not going to light you up, but he's so almost unorthodox and so unafraid to throw now that um, I don't even think you can look at that as some uh, some grand weakness. You know, it's not great. You know, trust me, he's not ever going to be the boxer that Connor or Dustin are, but it's good enough to get to where he's got to get to. And that's all he's trying to do. And so. You know, and I was same thing with Dustin. I was like, well, Dustin is great at takedown defense. He doesn't have a weakness, and he still got taken down. Uh, you know, he had a a great place where he jumped jumped into a guillotine and 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 almost got him, but he didn't. 
And I just don't think that there's going to be uh, that margin for Justin Gaethje to go and, and get himself a win. So I don't think he's going to finish him. You know, I, I feel like Justin is is too is too wily, too crazy. So I could see him, you know, taking the punishment the whole time unless, you know, maybe Herb just sees his face turn into a balloon or something. I don't know why I'm assuming it's Herb Dean, but whoever the referee is, just see his face turn into a balloon and he uh, he he ends it. But I don't. I don't see Justin getting the job done. I think that I think this is uh, Nurmaga Madoff's fight all the way. We'll talk a little bit more about this card plus the news of the week coming up right after this. <clears throat> Welcome back, everybody. Fighters Fury continues here. We roll on a little bit with UFC 254. Um, some big highlights from this card that we didn't get to. Um, we did the main event last segment. Robert Whitaker's taking on Jared Cannonier. Big fight in this regard as you have Jared Cannonier basically fighting for a number one contendership. Uh, style bender Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion, has said that if Killer Gorilla ends up getting a win here, uh, that he will uh, he will fight him for the title next. And UFC has been pretty prone to giving uh, Style Bender what he calls for. So big one for Cannonier. If Whitaker wins, um, I think he has to do something pretty spectacular to get himself back in line for the title shot just because of how badly he lost to Adesanya. Um, it would put two wins on his resume. Back-to-back, it would be Darren Till and now Cannonier. But I do think that um, he needs to, like, obliterate Jared for for him to be back in the title picture. Um, you know, although they did mention this week that that just, it does huge business over by their part of the world. So maybe he doesn't, but I, I feel like... Um, like we were talking about with the with the whole featherweight title thing with uh, with Max Holloway. Now this isn't two losses for him. If he loses to Adesanya twice, then you're probably completely taking him out of the picture. But um, that's what's on the line in the co-main event. I like Cannonier, man. He's really underrated. Uh, as as some real hurting bombs in his hand, and I mean he is he's been obliterating fools, especially uh, especially since he's gone to middleweight. I think a lot of people were surprised that he was able to do what he did to Jack Hermanson, who kind of burst onto the scene with his win over Jacare Souza. So, you know, he uh, he he beat Anderson Silva in Anderson Silva's last fight, uh, took out David Branch in his middleweight debut. So he's really had a nice resurgence since coming down from 205. Uh, he's a very, very impressive fighter. And then Robert Whitaker is an absolute monster. You know, he has such versatility in his strikes. I wasn't surprised that he was able to get the job done against Darren Till like he did the last time, um, you know. But you know, Darren is still still finding his footwork from all the pre, you know, from all the early height that he had in, in his in his UFC career. Uh, but we know that we know that Robert Whitaker is super tough. Two wins against Ro- uh, Yoel Romero, you know, stopping uh, Jacare, stopping Derek Brunson. Like the guy's a monster. He really, really is, and so. This is a tough fight. It's a really tough fight to 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 pick with the big stakes on the line. You have also Alexander Volkov taking on Walt Harris in this regard. Walt is looking to uh, to bounce back from his last fight where he lost to Alistair Overeem. He got TKO'd in that one. Um, and you have, in the same regard, Volkov looking to get a win too. So one of these guys, unless there's a draw, we'll get back into the win column. Magman Ankalev taking on Ian Kutalaba in the other uh, part of the main event. And then in the uh, the co-main, you got Stefan Struve, the skyscraper. He is going to be taking on Tai Tuivasa. 
And uh, Ty Tuivasa, who was another one, he had like, I mean, uh, sky was the limit with his hype when he came in. The shoey man doing the uh, the drinks when, when uh, you know, people were learning about the shoe. We had him on. I remember having him on the radio uh, because he was he was like such a hot item, Ty Tuivasa. Uh, but he's fallen on hard times. He's, I think he's lost three straight. So you're probably looking for Ty, you know, maybe in a, in a must-win situation for him as far as where his uh where his UFC career goes because he's he's not only lost he's lost to some some you know not very recognizable names not that Stefan Struve isn't that but um you know we'll see it's been it's been tough so even his Andre Arlovsky fight was pretty uh was pretty tough for him so we'll see what comes of uh of the shoey man uh bam bam shoey vasa all that type of stuff uh should be an exciting card for sure we did get news this week uh, regarding the uh, the the matchup between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor, now it does seem that Conor Conor's funny man. Like he, uh, you know, he's putting uh, he's got all these demands, but then he does seem to bend to the UFC. It's a very different time. Typically, the UFC would be bending to his demands because uh, he was like, "Oh, it must happen in 2020." And then he goes, "Ah, you know what? January 23rd, let's do it." The interesting thing though is he wants it at uh, Jerry's World Cowboy Stadium, and you know, they are doing a fight there. They're doing um, Errol Spence, Danny Garcia there, which I think they're doing with limited fans. Texas is rolling in the fights, man. So uh, I'm really excited about this. Now that it's here, I guess all the, you know, hopefully contracts, there's no snafus there. I would, I would assume that we're we're doing this thing. Um, one, I hope they care that, you know, I, I saw an interview with Dustin Poirier this week, and he made a great point on Errol Helwani's show where, uh, I guess he heard that Michael Chandler's already making more than him. Uh, they just signed Michael Chandler as a free agent, and, and that's bull crap. Like, you know, listen, I, I I know that these are different economic times, and everybody's crying poor, all this type of stuff. I know Dustin Poirier is not asking for the sun and stars when it comes to his money. Um, that dude deserves to get paid a lot of dough for his fights. He is just just as entertaining as you know Cowboy Cerrone or any of these dudes that you throw out there that are just absolute. Uh, slayers when it comes he is a he is a fight fans fighter and he's also very elite he's also been very elite for a long time so I hope that that's not a hiccup and as far as this matchup is concerned I just think that you know people are going to look at this and they're going to go and they're going to they're going to dig that that uh that fight up between him and Connor from uh from from back in the day when there was 145 pounds and I just think you could just throw it out the window. I really think you could throw it out the window. I don't think it serves a great purpose here. I don't think that it uh I don't think it's gonna mean a whole lot. I think that you have uh you have a a a matchup here with these two. I'm trying to think, is it is it also at welterweight or is it at one fifty five? Because I thought that they've been saying that it's gonna be at welterweight. Yeah, John Kavanaugh says that it's gonna be at welterweight. And I got to tell you, I think that's a stupid move. Uh, I don't think that's a smart move from Connor. You know, I know that they don't want to cut for 155. First of all, I think that you should be. St- I know what I know what like the, the thought of this is. Oh, why? Why do these fights at the weight class? You know that they should be doing. You know, why? Why do these fights at a weight class? Like, what's the point? Like, there's no belt on the line and all that type of stuff. But. 
you know, ultimately that is the division that you are fighting in. And maybe you don't feel like, uh, you know, Conor McGregor has a lot to, to prove upon when it comes to uh, his 155 stats. But like his win against Donald was at welterweight. It wasn't at, it wasn't at 155. And so like, you know, some people, they look at me like, yeah, but Donald's uh, was a ranked, you know, lightweight. Connor is too, we know. But like, I will uh, decide, like, are you going to be a welterweight or are you going to be a lightweight? Um, the other thing is, I just think that Connor, the bigger that he's been, has been a much, he's just been a less special fighter, the bigger that he's been. I think that a featherweight, I think there's an argument he's the greatest featherweight of all time. I know people get crazy with that because he never defended a belt, but I just think that the run that he went on to get to the belt was like, it was like a buzzsaw through butter. It was, it was so damn good. 155, he's had some impressive performances, but it wasn't what it was at featherweight. And I just think that, you know, for this guy, uh, you know, if he's going to be true about getting into this title at 155 pounds, I feel like the fight should be at 155 pounds. Um, and I also think it benefits him to be 155 pounds, but they're going to do it at welterweight. He feels like... Um, you know, he's going to get some kind of monster size advantage on Dustin. Boy, I, I don't know, man. Dustin's a thick kid. He's a thick kid. Um, and, you know, he's super versatile. He's got a lot to his arsenal. Um, I just think that he's going to get a completely different Dustin Poirier in this matchup. I don't think those head games are going to work. Um, I don't even know what kind of McGregor we're going to get. It's been so such a long time. Um, obviously he's going to be able to always go to, I slayed you in, you know, this matter of seconds and whatnot. And sure. I'm sure that's got to be an annoying thing for Dustin Poirier to know that you lost in uh you know, about a hundred seconds to, to Conor McGregor, but even still, um, this is a, this is a matchup where you have a guy that has been way better for so long. I mean, that fight was so long ago between him and Conor McGregor. It was, what are we talking? It was back at 2014, and we saw this with Dustin, too. Dustin had one of these situations pretty recently with Max Holloway, where, you know, he beat Max Holloway back in the day in 2012, but, like, you you know, Max was a teenager, and he beat him completely differently the second time around. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, and, and for Dustin, you know, for me, Dustin's the guy at 155. It's like he's gone and he beat Dan Hooker, uh, you know, he fought Habib, he lost, you know, I guess there's still an argument for Tony, but you know, you look at all those top guys, you look at those top guys, he's the one who's coming off the win. Uh, let's bring up the 155 rankings right now. The 155 rankings of guys who don't fight at 155. Um, yeah, one is Gaethje interim champ. Dustin is number two. Uh, Tony's three. He beat Dan Hooker. Who's four Connor's five. And, you know, to me, I just feel like, hey, if they're going to fight for a championship, if they're going to be fighting for this. So if you have a two versus five, I think it's a legitimate number one contendership fight. You know, I think it should be at 155 pounds. I do. I really do. I know that, you know, Connor may get his way on this because, you know, that's what he does. Although typically, although recently he has not been getting his way because he hasn't fought all year and he's not going to fight all year. So maybe they get them like, hey, bro, you know, it's a you want to fight for the 155 strap. Otherwise, why not just fight for a number? You know, why not just start boosting your ass up to to welterweight? 
You know, what are we doing at that point? So we'll see. I think it's a, I think it's a fun fight though. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad that they were able to make that happen. And then, uh, to follow up on another thing that we've been talking about on this show. One, we got the news this week that uh, Anthony Joshua is going to officially fight Kubrat Pulev. That is going to be going down on December 12th in London. Not sure if fans are going to be in attendance, but that fight will be going on. So he will uh, put up his heavyweight straps for that. And if he gets through, uh, if he gets through Pulev, it looks like the next fight's going to be him versus Tyson Fury. You know, there was uh, there there continues to be talks from Gypsy King that Fury is not going to fight Deontay Wilder next. Um, you know, I don't know if this is completely decided upon, but it looks like they're moving in that direction. If it's not how if it looks like that's the direction they're moving in, that they feel like the uh, the thing has expired. I don't know who Tyson Fury is going to fight in December. You know, he maintains that he wants to fight in a couple of months. I don't know who that like who that ends up being because um, I couldn't imagine they want to go too big of a challenge. Uh, and it's supposedly it's going to be a homecoming fight. It's going to be in London too. So you have those guys that fight in the same month, and then I would s- s- imagine that we're probably looking at like a June date for them being back in the ah. Uh, being back in the ring fighting for the undisputed heavyweight championship. But I like this, man. I like the fact that we're having these guys fight for all the belts. Put it all out there. Give this stuff some credibility of who a champion is, what they are, instead of all these uh, these things like Dragon Balls, like scattered up uh, amongst the earth, you know? Let's get them all focused in and, and being at one place. That's what we should have when it comes to the sport. That's our show for this week, everybody. You know, have a great rest of your week. Stay safe. Uh, Looking forward next week to UFC 254. We'll have a breakdown for you uh, coming up with that next week. Same time, same place. And then we'll get ready, of course, the week after that. A couple weeks after that, we'll have some action coming on down here, which is cool. So lots to uh, lots to cover in the fight world. It's starting to really, really heat up again, which is very exciting, of course. Uh, everybody have a great rest of your Sunday, and we will talk to you next time. See ya. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.